And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And welcome to the show this and welcome to the show this morning. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. It is, of course, Tuesday, post-Halloween. So uh, last night, you know, there's always that one neighbor mm-hmm. in the neighborhood, that one guy, yeah. right? I mean, so like we're out front of our house. I'm dressed like Spider-Man. You know, I've got the whole thing going on. Yeah, yeah. Handing out candy to the kids, right? My wife's handing out beer to the adults. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's the one guy down the street that has a Kona ice machine truck in front of his house. Really? So, yeah. So next year it's on full That's bar. We're all gonna, out. Yeah. Live band, full bar next year. So come to my house. <laughs> so anyway, it's a lot of fun. Tons of kids in the neighborhood. Yeah. Everybody out trick-or-treating. Everybody kids are well-behaved in our neighborhood They, last they night. were very well-behaved. Thank you. Appreciate it. Pick only one. Yeah. This is good. No, I had a few of them just reaching the back. Oh, yeah. yeah, just <laughs> it looked like that claw at the supermarket. <laughs> exactly, because we have the, we have like a big black cauldron uh-huh. that we fill with candy, and they're yeah. like in it. So, <laughs> but and then there's a few, uh, you know, the, we we have one of those neighborhoods where all the other people drive over to the neighborhood. So yes. there's like cars yeah. parking in the neighborhood. This is a good block. This is a good block, right? So, yeah, they wanted the Kona ice machine, so next year it's on. Anyway, uh, Halloween over, past Day of the Dead today. So I was a little bit dead this morning trying to get up after last night, but (laughs) so it is Day of the Dead. Dia de los Muertos. Yes, and it sounds sounds very sinister, doesn't it? It does. Day of the Dead. Um, So, of course, today starts the two-day Fed meeting. Uh, tomorrow on Wednesday afternoon at two o'clock, we'll get the Fed announcement, which expected right now, the Fed is going to hike by 75 basis points. So not, you know, this is well forecast. Everybody knows this is coming. Now the question becomes, what will they say? Again, it's not the rate hike tomorrow that matters. It's going to be what they say. Uh, is it going to be trick or treat? That's going to be the question, right? Um, do they start to hint at potentially slowing the pace of rate hikes? Now, look, that's going to happen eventually anyway. Uh, They're going to have to slow this pace. They can't keep doing 75 basis points, you know, forever, right, at every meeting. So just by natural progression, the Federal Reserve is now going to have to start slowing the pace of their rate hikes. Currently estimated that we'll have 50 basis points in December, 25 basis points in the first two meetings of 2023, and that will be the end of it. So another, you know, another one full percentage point after tomorrow, taking the terminal rate, that's the ultimate uh, rate on the Fed funds rate to 5%. That's where it's expected to go right now. Uh, Then the Fed will be done. At 5%, the Fed supposedly will be over. Now, interestingly enough, what the Fed keeps looking at, of course, are two things. One, unemployment and, of course, inflation. And inflation continues to be a little bit stubborn here, but we're now moving in, and we've talked about this several times this year. We said, look, as we get to the later phases of this year, 2022, uh, and moving into 2023, the year-over-year rate of change in the CPI index becomes much harder to compare because remember, we compared to what rates were 
and like for instance in December, we'll look at November versus November of last year. Those rates of change are now moving up towards 1%, 0 0.8, 0 0.9, 1, 1 1.2, et cetera. So those, the increases in CPI on a monthly basis are going to be compared to these higher rates that we had last year. That's going to be much more telling and, and will start to show a deeper decline in inflation over the course of the next few months. Now, money supply, we wrote about this two years ago when everybody was coming out with all these stimulus checks to households, et cetera, we said that money supply was exploding. And this is the M2 measure of money. It's how much money is flowing into the economy, right? So that just exploded because we were issuing checks to households, right? That has now fully reversed. M2 money supply has collapsed. And if we take a look at what's called the velocity of money, how fast money moves through the economy, that has also collapsed because economic growth isn't really growing outside of those monetary injections. So monetary velocity is slowing down very sharply. That has a nine-month lead on inflation. So that collapse in M2 and that collapse in monetary velocity has a nine-month lead, that's about to play catch-up with CPI. We're right at the peak of that right now, the peak of that uh, spike in money supply on a nine-month lag basis. So over the next nine months, we're going to see a very sharp decline potentially in inflation as well. So lots of things are suggesting two things here. One, because the Fed keeps hiking interest rates as aggressively as they are, CEO confidence now at the lowest level since the financial crisis, that, that has all, both of those, the Fed rate hikes and CEO confidence, has always preceded very sharp drops in employment, right? It's also pre-recessionary. So what this all tells us is that next year, early next year, we are going to start, be we will be talking about a fairly deep recession in the economy, an earnings recession, profit margins contracting more so again, despite all the recent rally, and again, the Dow just posted its best October since 1975. Pretty incredible. But this all suggests that next year, we're going to have more problems to deal with as markets are still trying to recalibrate to this, you know, this pig in the python of all this money moving through the system and coming out the other side, and we're not doing more of those checks. Also, unfortunately, in February, we're now going to come up on another debt ceiling as well. So this is going to be another debt ceiling debate fight. Of course, uh, 2011 brings back memories for everybody. That was where the whole world, we had the debt downgraded and, and uh, the whole world was coming to an end if we didn't get the debt ceiling lifted. Well, we're back there again. And the question is going to be if the Republicans take the House or, and or the Senate coming up in the election next week, uh, that's on Tuesday of next week, November the 8th. What does that mean for the debt ceiling hike? Will they start putting the brakes on spending to stop to try to stop some of this kind of runaway spending abuse in Washington that we've had over the last couple of years? Or are they just going to do another continuing resolution and kick the can down the road? My suspicion is the latter because that's normally been the case, but we'll see what actually happens here. But that's another issue we're going to have to potentially deal with because right now the Treasury is already having a problem selling debt and all of a sudden if you have a suspension of the debt ceiling that makes it even more complicated so we'll see what happens uh very quickly yesterday markets did sell off here just a little bit um but not surprising had a huge big rally on friday of course that took the markets above the 50-day moving average and we talked about that yesterday so that was a nice positive end to the month today is the first day 
of November. So markets are trading up a little bit this morning. Dow's up about 200 points right now. Uh, oil's trading up a bit. Not surprising here. Again, first day of a new month, people putting positions on their books, et cetera, to trade for the month. This is also a little bit lighter month in terms of transaction volume. We've got Thanksgiving coming up right around the, uh, the bend here. So things are going to kind of start to slow down in the markets as we get closer to the week before Thanksgiving and the week after Thanksgiving. Things get really light in terms of volume. The inmates pretty much running the asylum at that point. So we'll, we'll, you know, there's a real possibility that the month of November could still trade fairly decently. We're not extremely overbought yet on a short-term basis. Our MACDs are still in, our buy signals are still in place right now, suggesting that markets could continue to trade a little bit higher. But we are kind of getting to the limit of that now. So again, uh, as we started doing yesterday, take a little bit of profit, reduce a little bit of risk here. If the market keeps going up, do it again. If the market goes up some more, do it again. Uh, try to work yourself into a position of a little bit less risk by the time we get into the first two weeks of December, which is where we'll have about 20% of mutual funds beginning to make year-end distributions for their end-of-year closeouts. Uh, then, of course, we'll have the Santa Claus rally, and then, then, of course, we get into 2023, which is going to become a bit more challenging for investors. So use this rally, clean up portfolios, do some end-of-year tax loss harvesting. We're going to talk more about that uh, on our upcoming um, uh, candy coffee, uh, actually lunch and learn on November the 15th. So register at the website now for that as well. Uh, be right back after the break. I'm Harold Science Roberts. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. The end of the year is fast approaching. What will the new year bring? Join Richard Rosso, Danny Ratliff, and Lance Roberts for our year-end economic review special event Tuesday, November 15th. How to address higher taxes in the new year. Should you delay your retirement in 2023? What will the midterm elections mean for markets? Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our year-end economic review special event with Ratliff, Rosso, and Roberts. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show. So, Brent, did you uh, play the big lottery last night? I did not. Uh, I know you didn't win it. I didn't lose any money either. Yeah, but you didn't win it either. No. Nobody won the billion dollar jackpot last night. So, yeah. That's $600 million after taxes and, you know, it's not chump change. <laughs> so, anyway, it goes up to $1.2 billion now. Yeah. So, somebody's going to win. Uh, there were actually two or three uh, in Texas that won the million dollar jackpot last night. Really? So, they're going to wake up this morning after Halloween. And they're going to call us. No. <laughs> no. Likely not. Because most people that win those lotteries, mm -hmm. they're generally broke within a couple of years. Yeah. So, and, yep. there's, and there's a good reason for that, right? So as soon as people find out you have money, everybody shows your doorstep, hey, want to invest in my worm farm? Yeah. Relatives you didn't know you had. Yeah. And, and we see this all the time. It's, it's, it's you know, it, it's... You know, and it's unfortunate, right? Because the parent earns the money in a lot of cases. And this happens with families that earn money. So like the parent will have a business or whatever, and they'll earn money. Um, and then when the kids come in and take over, it's this big pile of money that they don't really have any attachment to because, you know, they didn't earn it, right? It's just there. And so they want to start doing things like, you know, buying private planes and fast cars and big houses and, you know, all this type of stuff. And then, you know, before you know it, 
money's gone, right? And that's just typically what happens. Money rarely survives the first generation unless you do a lot of good, you know, good structured planning, you know, put the money into a trust, have a group of professionals manage that money for you in terms of, you know, making, if you're doing private investments or whatever, but have a group of independent people that you pay to make those investment decisions for you. Because once the family gets involved, it just, money, just money doesn't survive. It just, it ends because bad decisions are made. So anyway, um, as we were talking about, you know, before the break, <clears throat> there's there's a lot of reasons why this rally that we have right now. Now, look, th things can change. And so, I, I, you know, whatever, you know, whatever you think is going to happen between now and the end of the year and next year, just understand there's a good chance that you're wrong. Right. There's a good chance I'm wrong. Um, because things change. And so when things change, we have to change accordingly. And, and what I mean by that is, is that if we just take the world as we look at it right now and we say, look, economic growth is going to slow down You're, because of you've got higher interest rates. So that's the whole reason we hike interest rates is to slow economic growth because we're trying to kill inflation. This is going to lead to a recession. Um, when you have a recession, earnings are going to slow down. Um, you know, as a result, stock prices fall as they reprice for, for lower earnings, et cetera, so forth and so on. That's why we're saying, you know, right now, you know, it, all things being equal, you should be using this rally to raise some cash and rebalance risk, right? Because going into next year, these impacts from the Fed hiking rates and doing all these type of crazy things um, are going to have a negative consequence for markets because of the repricing of earnings. That's it, right? It's nothing nefarious. It's just what it is. We've got a price in a recession. And so the obvious answer, of course, is people are, well, I'll just put a, I'll just put my whole portfolio, I'll just put it short the market, right? Well, you got to be careful with that because things change. You know, the Fed could come out tomorrow as an example and say, you know what? We've hiked enough. We're done, Right? I don't think they will, but I'm just giving an example. Or they hike tomorrow, they hike in December, everything's on track, and then in January something breaks and they're going they immediately revert back to doing QE and and cutting rates to zero. So, you know, what whatever happens, right? Things change. So, we have to be able to to change accordingly and quickly based on these changes in the environment. So, this is one of the problems that happens is people get very glued to a particular outlook. The world's coming to an end or the world's, you know, always bullish, you know, whatever it is. And they don't, they, they become inflexible to the changes in the markets. That's why dinosaurs went extinct, right? They didn't adapt. They didn't evolve. And this is why you have to evolve and you have to adapt as, as the market conditions change. Because again, you know, no matter what we think today is, right, there's going to be something that happens in the future that, that is unexpected. And this is what causes markets to have, you know, violent swings in one direction or the other, most often to the downside. Because, you know, markets are fine, we're going up, everything's honky-dory, and then something comes along that completely undermines and derails the markets, like shutting down the economy for a pandemic, right? Look back in history, you go, that was stupid, but, you know, there we go. 
And that caused this whole fluctuation of problems. And then, of course, the responses were even worse by coming in and after you shut down the economy, flooding the system with, you know, with capital. And now we know all those consequences. But that has now become a issue for the future because every time we have a economic slowdown, is that going to be the cure du jour for fixing problems? Just well, we got a problem. Let's send money to households, right? And that's and I, I suspect that'll be the case, as long as we're willing just to kind of keep kicking the can down the road and just increasing our debt levels then it's going to be very easy just to keep issuing more checks. And that doesn't matter which party's in office, by the way. It's, it's a way that you garner favor and votes and stay in office, right? Oh, I sent you checks. Vote for me. So we'll see what happens. None of these outcomes are good, by the way, long term, right? More debts, more deficits, lower rates of growth. That's going to be the problem. So anyway, just something to think about as we start moving into next year, because there are a lot of issues that we still have to deal with. Uh, again, as I mentioned earlier, CEO confidence has now dropped to the lowest level since the financial crisis. And as we've talked about before, that always precedes recessions and spikes in unemployment. Because, again, you know, when I'm not confident as a CEO and I'm sitting there looking at interest rates go up, I'm, you know, and I talk to business owners all day, every day. And, you know, they all have the same story. It's like, man, it's just, you know, business is slowing down. Consumers are spending less. Traffic is dropping, whatever the issues are relative to their business. And then they're going, look, I'm, I'm looking down the road here and the Fed keeps hiking rates. This is only going to make things worse. They're not confident about the outlook. So what's the first thing they do? They start doing cost cutting internally. What can I do to save money? And prepare for what may be a weaker environment but they're not ready to lay off employees yet because again good employees are hard to come by we've talked about this before you've got a good employee you don't want to get rid of them you want to hang on to them as long as you can if they're a good employee the problem becomes at some point you don't have a choice it's it's employees or it's profits and when business slows down enough eventually and this is why there's a lag effect between confidence and unemployment Eventually, they just don't have a choice. And unfortunately, since all CEOs and, and business owners, et cetera, all kind of run within the same realm of the economy, those decisions all come at about the same time. And this is why unemployment doesn't, you know, gradually rise. You know, while we have employ, you know, after a recession, right, employment just kind of gradually grows over time as we start putting people back to work, right? As we get more confidence about the economy, we start slowing you know, slowly hiring people back to work and unemployment kind of trends higher. But you take a look at unemployment, right? Those spike. Unemployment rates spike higher. They don't climb higher. And the reason is, is that CEOs and business owners, et cetera, kind of all come to the same conclusion at the same time because the economy really starts to drop very sharply economic growth-wise. And so... The unemployment kind of all comes at one time. And this is, you take a look at jobless claims, is a good example. Everybody's right now is jobless claims. Well, jobless claims are still very low, no sign of recession. By the time you realize you're in a recession, jobless claims will be shooting through the roof. Because again, it kind of all comes at one time. And, and, and this, is, this is the problem for the Fed 
And one thing that kind of baffles me, because I can look, look, I'm no PhD economist, but I can look at data and I can say, look, this happens every time we do this. And yet we've got a Fed that's going, hey, we're going to keep hiking rates and hiking rates because there's no sign of, of problem in the economy. Well, not yet. You just haven't hit the tree yet. The tree's clearly right ahead of you, and you're speeding down the mountain at the moment. And you're like, yeah, well, the car's still moving forward. Hadn't hit the tree yet. Well, okay, that's, that's cool. But it's coming. And so it seemed to me that you'd start making some changes in anticipation for what historically has pretty much always been the case. Every time we do this, we get that. So let's not do this so we don't get that. You're trying, to orchestrate, you're trying to orchestrate a soft landing? Well, maybe not do so much of this that you get that because it happens every time, right? So this is kind of one of the, the, the things that, you know, we talk about. And, and again, it's just a function of how economics works, and it's not complicated, you know, economics is a function of consumer psychology more than anything else. And, and again, we can apply all, you know, economics is called the dismal science, right? It's, it's, you know, one of these things we're always trying to apply math to the economic equation, right? If consumers do X, Y is the outcome, right? And you've seen the charts of supply and demand. If supply is X, then demand is Y, then there's your, there's your, your break point. Doesn't work that way, though, in real life. Economics is not a science. It's not even art. It's psychology more than anything else because it's a function of ultimately how consumers respond to various environments. And consumer behavior is at best a guess. You can't apply mathematics to consumer psychology or consumer behavior, or individuals' behavior. Individuals don't do anything rationally. Be right back after the break. Investment Advice Blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. The end of the year is fast approaching. What will the new year bring? Join Richard Rosso, Danny Ratliff, and Lance Roberts for our year-end economic review special event Tuesday, November 15th. How to address higher taxes in the new year? Should you delay your retirement in 2023? What will the midterm elections mean for markets? Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our our year-end economic review special event with Ratliff, Rosso, and Roberts. Realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Futures pointing higher right now. The Dow's up about 215 points. Uh, S&P Nasdaq also pointing higher this morning. 
Earnings continuing to roll in, of course. We are, we're past the big bulk of them. And, of course, all the majors kind of out of the way right now. But still uh, quite a few stocks on the docket uh, for today. Eli Lilly, Pfizer, um, AMD, uh, and others, Advanced Micro Devices, others, Mondelez. If you don't know who Mondelez is, they make Oreos. It's important to know who Mondelez is. Of course, after all the candy yesterday, is like, Sugar it out, man. <laughs> yeah, who makes the antidote? Yeah, it's called Monday. <laughs> <laughs> or in this case, Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah, you got to get up, go back to work. Pretty much sucks it out of you. It really is the day of the dead. Exactly. Um, interesting poll uh, out this morning. Almost eight out of 10 Americans now say things are out of control. The new CPS, uh, CBS News Battleground Tracker YouGov poll have found that a whopping 79% of Americans believe the country is now out of control heading into the midterm elections. Of course, midterm elections are this coming, not they're the week from today, right? Seven days away. Just 21% responded. They say they say feel things are under control. And when the 79% were asked which party will they vote for, 56, 58% of them said Republican, only 34% saying they likely vote Democrat. You know, this is the interesting thing. We've talked about this before. You know, individuals vote by their pocketbook, right? You can you can make cases all day long about this policy or that policy or, you know, whatever it is. But at the end of the day, the vast majority of Americans don't give a rat's butt about policy, right? All they care about is, is can I feed my family? Can I pay my bills? And can I maintain my lifestyle as I've become accustomed to it, right? Whatever that is, right? Whatever your lifestyle is. And so it, it becomes financial very quickly. And most people really don't understand, in a lot of cases, all the different economics that are going on. You know, you ask most people about GDP unemployment, they just go, yeah, it's up or down, right? They can't tell you what, go, you know, what, what makes up GDP. What, what are the components of GDP, Right. They can't tell you that it's personal consumption, expenditures, net exports, government spending, business investment. Except they can't tell you that. Right. They just it's up or down. Because we don't teach this stuff in school. And most people are just doing their damnedest just to go out and get a job and pay bills and live their life. Right. Just trying to get by. And again, as we talked about before, with the vast majority of Americans barely making enough to, to support a family of four in America, um, much less having any money in the bank to spend, so to speak, in terms of meeting an emergency. Their main focus is really the impact of what they feel on their family. And, and again, as we talked about before, as we were saying in the last segment, economics is, is really not about math. Even though we try to apply a lot of math to economics, we, we do our best to try to make economics a science thing, right? Though it's science. It's really not. It's a lot about psychology, as I said, and consumers and, and how consumers behave in different environments. And, and we may think that, and again, if, if everybody behaved like they were supposed to behave and do what they were supposed to do, they'd be saving money, right? But they're not. If people were doing what they're supposed to do, they wouldn't buy houses they couldn't afford. They wouldn't buy expensive cars they couldn't afford. But we do that, right? Because we're emotional creatures. We're not, we don't sit down and go through our, you know, 
you say the word budget to most people, it's a four-letter word. They don't want to be told what they can spend and what they can't spend and why they should save money. They don't want to worry about that, right? YOLO, right? You only live once. That's emotional. That's not economic. That's not, you know, science. It's emotional. So we all drive that way. So it's not surprising when you when you see, you know, things in 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 the world, right, going on. You know, there's a lot of topics at play, right? Lots of 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 things on the ballot that we're supposed to be voting for this time around. Whether it's, you know, how do you feel about abortion or how do you feel about immigration or they, they you know, that's 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 fine, right? But what people are really focused on, I can't afford to pay my family, right? I can't afford to feed my family, can't afford to pay my bills. That's what people are focused on. And that's the big challenge going to the polls, right? And that's why people feel out of control, right? Right now, you know, they, they feel like the world's out of control because for them, their control is only between what they earn at work, what they bring home after taxes, then they've got to pay their bills. They've got to pay their mortgage, got to pay credit cards, got to pay, you know, gas, electric, all that. Got to pay that stuff because I want it to stay on. And then I've got this little pot of money left over and I've got to figure out how to feed my family on it. And when I can't do that, I feel that things are out of control, right? I have no control because I can't feed my family. That's why they feel like there's a loss of control. The world's out of control because I can't do what I need to do. And this is where, you know, people start trying to figure it out, right? And this is why they start turning, you know, getting further into debt. But eventually that only goes so far and they've got to cut spending. Eventually they, they are faced with that point that they can no longer afford to do certain things, and they have to cut those out. And this is where you start getting the economic recession. And that's coming. People feeling out of control is just the first step because that means that they're still, you know, they're still in the game, right? It's just out of control at the moment, but they haven't made that decision to cut back sharply. And again, it's not surprising that, and, and I guarantee you, if, if right now, Republicans controlled the White House, the Senate, and Congress, and you had this rate of inflation and what was going on in the economy, this poll would be flipped. 79% would say the economy, that the world is out of control, and 58% would be voting for Democrats, 38% would vote for Republicans, because that's the way it is. It's like, whoever's in office, you get the blame for it. Sorry. You did this. It's your fault. So people vote for the other party, right? I just want something different, right? This is, and this, you know, we can go back to the Bush Obama, uh, sorry, the, um, not Bush, sorry, Cheney uh, Obama election back in 2008. You know, first of all, you know, Republicans made a terrible decision to run, you know, the Crypt Keeper versus a young JFK-ish type person. But, the economy was in a deep financial crisis recession. There was no way that the Republicans were going to win that election because 
that recession started at the end of the of the Bush term, right? People were were impacted economically, so they were voting for something different, right? The Democrats could have literally run a stick, and that would stick would have probably gotten elected because of what had happened under the previous Republican administration and the financial crisis. So that's where we are now, right? So this is this is the so people vote emotionally. And this is why what's interesting about this is, is this is very telling. This poll is very telling about what is coming. And again, we were talking about just a few minutes ago, you know, yes, we've been in a bear market so far this year, right? We've had this big correction this year. But we're not even through the worst part of it yet because we haven't gotten to the recession part of it yet. And that's where you're going to start seeing unemployment go up. That's where you're going to start seeing things go up. Now, why is unemployment going to go up? Well, that's when those consumers that currently feel out of control stop spending and start cutting back and run out of the ability to ramp up credit in order to make ends meet. That's what's coming. So now, and again, as I said before, Things can change. So when we get to this point that something starts to break economically, does the Fed immediately turn around and start dropping interest rates and going back to QE or doing Operation Twist, whatever it is? That'll certainly, you know, or do we start sending checks to households again, you know, to bail them out? So things can change, right? And and there's certainly an ability to postpone the inevitable, so to speak, kick it down the road a little bit further, which is what we did following the pandemic shutdown, right? So we shut down the economy and the pandemic, economy crashes, nobody can work, we send checks to households, we spark some economic growth, and now we're getting the payback for that now, which is inflation and declining rates of economic growth because, again, that sugar rush is now fading from the system. So if you want to, so we kind of kick that recession down the road a little bit by doing that. So we can do it again, right? So if we're going to have a recession next year, which seems to be, you know, kind of apparent at this point, if we're going to have a recession next year, we can certainly kick that can down a little bit further, maybe kick it down another year or two by doing another round of, of monetary bailouts. And again, don't put it past those in office to do that, whoever it is, because they would like to keep their job come the 2024 elections. So... Anyway, interesting poll out, though. Um, eight out of ten. Almost 80% of Americans feel things are just out of control. It was out of control. The show will be right back after the break.
Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. The end of the year is fast approaching. What will the new year bring? Join Richard Rosso, Danny Ratliff, and Lance Roberts for our year-end economic review special event Tuesday, November 15th. How to address higher taxes in the new year. Should you delay your retirement in 2023? What will the midterm elections mean for markets? Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our year-end economic review special event with Ratliff, Rosso, and Roberts. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to the show this morning. It's um, 6.47 as we get ready to kind of wrap things up. Of course, uh, futures are pointing, still pointing up a little higher. S&P's up about 36 points this morning uh, after a small pullback yesterday. So, again, uh, markets are just trying to kind of consolidate here. But we're starting a new month, uh, the month of November. So, you know, managers, et cetera, want to get some, you know, assets on the books, you know, for the month. Um a lot of asset managers are kind of behind the curve in terms of performance. So there's a, a really kind of a push to play catch up between now and year end uh, on a performance basis. So a lot of managers need to get some assets on the books if this market continues to rally. Uh, again, big short positions as well could keep this kind of going a little bit longer than expected. Uh, markets are getting a little bit overbought short term, though. So, uh, you know, again, uh, this mar- this rally is not going to last forever, so you know do take some profits in it. But again, there's there is some more to go to the upside. Uh, BP this morning announcing blockbuster earnings, and of course, not surprisingly, um, with the recent earnings reports coming out of ExxonMobil and Chevron and BP as an example, showing huge profits. You know, we're we're now back to that tired argument that we need a windfalls profit tax on big oil because they're just breaking it in because of high oil prices. Okay. But where were the calls for a windfall loss credit when they were losing money when oil prices crashed negative, right? So, you know, it's, you know, we want to blame them when they're making money. And we want, you know, when, when, and when they're losing money, we don't care, right? Just whatever. And you can't, and this goes back to the case where, you know, you just can't have your cake and eat it too. You've got to figure this out. And, and again, the reason that oil companies are making so much money right now is not because they have, you know, massive, uh, you know, operating margins. Their operating margins haven't really changed much, right? But the price of oil is going up. Because of all these decisions that we made to do things that created a, a supply-demand problem. Again, you injected million, trillions of dollars worth of liquidity into the markets that created this exponential demand that couldn't be met with existing supply. We shut down the ability to create supply. So that created inflation. Then you push this you know, demand push, which puts more demand on the economy, which they need more energy to produce stuff, right? Ship it, transport it, do whatever. 
And see, we forget that it's not just about driving cars. There's so much petroleum that's used in everything, even in, in you know, even in the whole ESG climate change, new energy world, it requires a ton of petroleum products to do that. So you're creating all this excess demand at a time where you have a, a limited supply, and particularly what's going on with Europe with the shutdown of pipelines and all these other things that we've created this, you know, supply problem that we're having to deal with. But every time that this goes up, of course, you know, the the government's making this worse, by the way, by tapping the strategic petroleum reserves, trying to artificially bring down oil prices by, you know, adding supply to the economy, taking out the strategic petroleum reserves. The problem is, is that you have to fill that back up. So at a time where, you know, you need to be increasing production, you're still attacking these oil companies, right? And, and again, we've talked about this before. If you want oil companies to go produce more, give them a level playing field. Don't say, go produce more, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tax you more on a windfall's profit tax, right? Or go produce more, but I'm going to do this to you. Right? Because what, you know, it takes a lot of capital, investment, and time to drill wells, to produce more oil, um, you know, to refine more oil. Refineries running at capacity. Nobody's building new refineries because of regulations. And outlook, right? It takes 10 years to build a refinery. I can't plan that far ahead because every time I turn around, you're attacking me as an industry, telling me that we need to get rid of uh, petroleum companies because they're evil to the climate, right? We all want to be green. So we need to get rid of all the oil companies. So why am I going to go invest tons of capital in an environment where I can't, I don't have a clear pathway to run to? If you want oil companies to produce more, and again, you're going to have to have more oil production in the future, even if you want to be green, because of all the petroleum products that it takes to produce your green technology, whether it's windmills or solar panels or electric vehicles, whatever it is, requires a huge amount of petroleum input. But you're not encouraging them to go do their job because every time you turn, they turn around, you're attacking them. And their profit margins right now are simply a function of the fact that you've got high oil prices caused by all the previous actions of the administration that created this supply-demand imbalance. You know, this, and this is the interesting thing, right? In 2008, we're talking about peak oil, right? We're running out of oil. We got peak oil. By 2010, we're awash in oil. By 2018, we're the world's leading exporter of oil. We've got so much oil, we're exporting it. Now, all of a sudden, we don't have enough oil. So, this is the problem. And again, this is, this is fine. But it's not just the government, right? You have all these mutual fund managers and pension funds and hedge funds excoriating energy companies because they're not ESG, right? Environmentally, socially, governance stocks. They're not climate friendly, right? So we can't invest in them. Texas recently just started passing laws to ban pension fund managers, et cetera, that refuse to buy energy stocks. 
right? So all these type of things. It's, it's interesting, though, is that now CEOs are starting to kind of come around to this realization. Recent KPMG study was, was kind of fascinating because in August, KPMG published, I'm reading from the article, in August, KPMG published an in-depth report titled 2022 U.S. CEO Outlook. Now, first of all, we know that CEOs are pretty depressed. It assessed a wide variety of issues facing businesses over the next 12 months, including economic turbulence, finding and retaining talent, and technological developments. The paper also looked at ESG, that trend that is sweeping America and the rest of the world. The authors of the report noted that the majority of CEOs, 79%, think the public will look to the private sector to address major social challenges rather than government, whether it's climate change or income inequality. But the whole form of social investing has become integral to the private marketplace, particularly as more of the public becomes skeptical over virtue signaling and greenwashing. And this is something we've talked about before. This whole ESG has been a massive greenwash for, for these hedge, hedge funds and pension funds, mutual funds. We talked about BlackRock as an example. Um, you know, one of the problems with this whole ESG focus is that they charge you four times as much as an expense ratio for basically giving you an S&P index fund. Performance is identical, but they charge you more for it. And then they promote it to you. It's like, oh, you've got to invest in ESG. Well, there's, there's no real clear benefit to anything other than the fact that they make more money. You know, as we've talked about before, the problem with this whole ESG investing is that it does nothing actually for the economy. If I buy shares of Apple from Brent, we I give him cash, he gives me shares of Apple. Apple doesn't know that transaction occurred. And that's what happens all day all day long every day. We're trading stocks like banshees. Apple doesn't know who owns what shares of, of stock. They know who their major shareholders are, but they don't know the daily trading activity of who owns what where. Right? They're not making decisions about going out and planting trees or doing something you know, environmental based on trading of their shares. So this whole e this idea is, well, I'm going to invest in companies that are climate-focused. That's great. Has no, no impact on the, economy, uh, on, the, on the company whatsoever. They don't know it. But all these companies are charging you more for giving you the same product that you could get at one quarter of the price just by buying an S&P index fund. And, and the performance is exactly identical. And we talked about this last year. We said, look, when people figure this out, this whole ESG thing, this whole ESG fad thing is going to go away because people want performance. And guess what? It died a gruesome and ugly death as soon as oil stocks started outperforming everything else this year. Oil stocks are up 40% this year. The market's down 24. Guess where people are sticking all their money? In energy stocks. Oh, but I'm green. Yeah, but I'm buying energy stocks. Why? Because that's where I'm making money. I'm green when it comes to money. That's the way most people operate. I want where the green is. And, then, and we talked about, we wrote an article about this, is that, you know, we said back in 2021, as this was all starting to develop, we said that, you know, this whole ESG thing is fine and dandy until... That happens because we saw it happen with sin stocks back in the 90s. Oh, we're not going to invest in sin stocks, no pornography, no alcohol, no tobacco. Those were the best performing stocks during the dot-com crash. <laughs> Guess where money went?
All right. Anyway. CEOs now, though, cutting back or pausing efforts on ESG, according to KPMG. Reality is, is they need their stock prices to go up. The rest of it is who wash. So, all right. Wrap up show for the day. Get by the website. Uh, latest article is out on the website right now. Posted it out this morning. And again, uh, we've got coming up on November the 15th, we've got our economic outlook for the rest of this year. Article up this morning, are the October lows the bottom for the market? That's on the website now. Uh, don't forget to register while you're at the website for the upcoming seminar on September the 5th, uh, November the 15th on the economy and the year-end outlook. This is going to be post-election outlook as well. What does that mean for the markets? It's all at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. See you back here tomorrow.